Okay. We're all set then. We're recording. <laughs> all right. Here we are. Good morning, class. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to hear you all. And, uh, hopefully everybody is hearing me. Yes. Uh, I'm going to ask that uh, you have a Bible available so that we can uh, read the scriptures together. Also, I want to let you know that uh, uh, Amanda and Steve are acting as the IT people here. They're shotgunning the meeting. And uh, because uh, uh, this is all kind of new to me as well. And I'm going to ask that um, as we uh, start the class, <clears throat> that you put yourself on mute unless you are going to speak or ask a question or comment. All right? Um, because these uh, microphones pick up a lot of background noise. All right, and um, uh, we, it just interferes and gets very confusing. So, so good. Well, let me open up in prayer as we begin uh, today's lesson. <clears throat> Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you and give you great thanks for who you are. You are the one true and awesome God, the sovereign of all the universe. And we praise you and we thank you that in your goodness and in your grace and in your mercy, you have considered us the work of your hand and you have poured out your love upon us through Christ Jesus, our blessed Lord and Savior. And Lord, we thank you for assembling us as, as your church, as part of your body. And Lord, even though things are, are new to us today here and that we're not physically present, we are together. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the opportunity. As we look into your word, Lord, we pray that uh, your spirit would be mighty amongst us, that you would open our hearts, and uh, may this uh, uh, class uh, be a blessing to each and every one. Help us to uh, uh, grow in our faith and our understanding of your word. We commit our time to you now, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, it's good to uh, have you all here once again, and... Uh, Again, just let me remind you, please put yourself on mute unless you're going to uh, comment or ask a question. Uh, that will kill all the background noise and make it easier for everyone to hear. All right, as we go, going to start a study on the book of Job. I thought it would be an appropriate book um, to uh, look at, considering what we're going through here in our times. Uh, most scholars feel that the book of Job uh, and this just going to give you an introduction to the book uh, today. We're going to look a little bit at the first five verses of Job. Um, so uh, most of the scholars feel that the, uh, the book is the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, it's pro also probably considered one of the most challenging for two reasons. Uh, one is a, a lot of the, uh, the Hebrew is ancient Hebrew, and it's, it, it's very difficult to interpret. <clears throat> Uh, correctly uh, to translate. Um, but the other challenge also is the actual content of the book. Um, it addresses, obviously, we're familiar with it, the greatest philosophical and theological uh, questions uh, of our times. Um, it, it plummets the depths of, uh, of human despair, uh, the anger of moral outrage, it, uh, the anguish of, of feeling uh, abandoned by God. And it kind of attempts to draw the curtain back on the ways of God. And that makes it very challenging. Uh, Martin Luther said of Job, more 
magnificent and sublime than any other book of scripture. Uh, Tennyson claimed the greatest poem of ancient or modern times. And another spoke of it as towering up alone far above all the poetry of the world. It's so well known uh, that there's a, you know, obviously a phrase even in our vernacular, the patience of Job. Um, John Calvin preached 159 sermons on the book of Job. And a Scottish pastor, George Hutchinson, preached 316 sermons on the book. And to put that in context, since I've been uh, your pastor here for 11 years, I've preached about 525 sermons. So uh, that was a lot of sermons on Job. <laughs> Our study will be much more modest. Uh, we're going to probably uh, go about 12 weeks, I think. It depends on how, how well we uh, move along. Uh, but since none of us are going anywhere, we can take our time. So, and uh, I like this quote, one author states, like a gem of many facets, each time the book of Job is turned, a new light shines. By letting Job speak for itself as the word of God, every reading is a fresh reading. At one time, the, the literary value sparkles. At another time, the dramatic effect is overwhelming. Still another time, the psychological dynamics open a wealth of meaning and then give way to a challenging process in faith development. Now, obviously, the book of Job and its relevance is uh, up to the moment to today. Uh, because to one degree or another, we can all identify with the suffering of Job. Suffering, unfortunately, is a fabric of life. And yet it raises the age-old questions of why. Why do the innocent suffer? And further probing questions such as, uh, where is God in this suffering? If we are honest, and obviously we should be honest, <clears throat> we've all wrestled with such questions at some point in our lives. As an example, I wanna give you a brief account of Dr. David Jackson from Westminster and the author of one of the commentaries on Job. I wanna just read his testimony to you. On a garbage heap, in pain, in desperate mourning for the loss of his children, in poverty, under accusation of friends and provocation of his wife, in an intensity of human emotions that scandalized his pious friends, a man spoke boldly to God and asked why. At some point in our lives, we too have been on that garbage heap and howled to the Lord our why. It may not be about us, but about those closest to us. Sometimes we can see our suffering fitting into a pattern of God's plans and purposes. When it results from persecution or is a direct consequence of our own sin. But at other times, it seems random and without purpose, even just plain cruel. At such times, we feel ambushed. It's as if an enemy has jumped out of the trees and attacked us. I discovered Job when I was sitting by my wife's hospital bed, waiting for her to wake up after a miscarriage. We had prayed for this child's safety and salvation since before the child was conceived. We had prayed all that night that the child would survive the present crisis. The answer was no. I sat there looking out the window of the hospital at sunrise, 
And I watched a bird fly across a cloudless sky as the sun rose. I can't really hear it. Oh, okay. Maybe I got to put on speaker. I asked the Lord, how come that wretched bird could soar through such a sunrise and our child, made in your image, never see the light of day? There you go. I opened my Bible to Job because I figured he might have something to say at a time like this and flipped through the pages to roughly the end of the book. I was looking for God's final speech to Job. My eyes fell on the questions. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? You know how the mountain goats give birth. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? I sat and I wept and remembered Job's words. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. Knowing the Lord at such times is desperately important. Knowing that a simple response will only increase the pain keeps us from losing perspective. But understanding and being at peace with God at such times is a much bigger issue altogether. Hi everyone, we're having trouble getting the kids on both Sunday school and um, both teens and children, just to let you know Pete's working on both. Yeah, so um, General, I think it's a Zoom problem. I think that, you know, if people are having trouble hearing and all of that, just disconnect and reconnect. Make sure that your computer's volume is up on your machine. Uh, you can test that by maybe going to YouTube and trying to play a video, right? And you know that your volume is okay. Then you can try it again. Um, generally, if you can't hear us, it's because your machine's volume is, is, is off. But nobody was able to hear. Nobody. I, so I, I agree. That, that's a Zoom problem. So okay. closing the meeting and restarting it like we did this morning seems to have worked. Okay. So I think just restarting the meeting will help. Okay, thanks. Yeah, it's Steve, right? So the uh, so we you know that was his his testimony his personal testimony and uh, you know I've sat on the garbage heap with Job in life you know it's sad it was sad to lose my parents but in a sense it's also you know it's proper for for children to bury parents that's cycle of life. But it was certainly much more painful for me and Helen to lose our two-day-old grandson, Ethan. To hold that tiny, tiny baby and, and to watch the, the anguish of my son and my daughter-in-law over the death of Ethan, it brought a deep pain, as you might expect. And, uh, you know, I asked the Lord, I said, you know, why, Lord? You know, we've, we've, we've served you our, our whole adult's life, you know, and uh, why? And I'm sure all of you have, uh, you know, a story of pain and suffering in your life. And, uh, and that's why Job resonates and speaks to each one of us, um, because we identify at some level, in some capacity, to what he has gone through. And... And we say this, we ask the same questions. Interesting, uh, you know, I, I, I've only known one person who shared with me that they were saved by reading the book of Job. Um, I don't know if you've had encounters with people, um, but I found that surprising. And, 
And what was equally surprising was that as he was searching, uh, people had told him to go to the Bible and he turned to Job because he thought it was Job. <laughs> and he wanted to know what Job was in the Bible. <laughs> so it was kind of, a, kind of an interesting thing. The book of Job itself is placed in the wisdom and poetry section of the Bible, along with the Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And when we speak of these books of poetry, it's not like our modern concept of poetry. We have to get that out of our head. There's no rhyme. There's, you know, there's no, uh, nothing like that. Uh, Hebrew poetry, uh, it has to do with symmetry and balance. Uh, the repetition and the various sounds of the language. And the balancing uh, shows that, that that's a deliberate way of writing. This is not a haphazard uh, book or jotting down of uh, things that uh, happened to somebody that you might just quickly put in a diary. Somebody sat down and thought this out and they structured it very, very carefully. That's what Hebrew pro poetry is all about. And one quick example is that his bookmark, uh, bookend uh, uh, speeches. Uh, the first, first two speeches between God and Satan. And then you have this long section of a lot of speeches uh, amongst the friends. But then it closes with, again, two uh, speeches, this time between God and Job. Um, as far as the author goes, uh, no one knows who wrote it. We do know it's inspired by God, but no one knows who wrote it. Uh, some feel that uh, uh, it was maybe written by Moses, some David, some Solomon, uh, but the truth is we don't know. Again, the date we don't know. Uh, uh, most feel, again, it was the oldest book. Um, and it appears that Job probably lived between the times of Abraham and Moses probably closer to the Abraham and the patriarchs. Um, we do know whoever wrote it uh, seems to have been an Israelite because he uses the Israelite name of God, Yahweh, in the, in the, in the book. Um, but he mentions nothing of Israel's history. Um, so we're probably talking about the second millennium BC. Um, we considered Job more with the patriarchs for a couple of reasons. One, that he, he lived well over 100 years. Uh, like them, his wealth is measured mostly in livestock and servants and not so much money. And also he acted as a priest for his family. Uh, the mention of the, the raiding of the Sabians and the Chaldeans also seems to put this in about the second century uh, B.C. Although there's much that we don't know about this book, uh, it is scripture and it is historical. Uh, in Ezekiel 14, uh, verses 12 to 14 and verse 20, it reads this way. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine among, among it, and kill its people and their animals, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the Sovereign Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job 
were in it, they could save neither son nor daughter. They would only save themselves by their righteousness. So twice in Ezekiel, we have this trinity of historic names. In the New Testament, uh, James mentions it in uh, chapter 5, 11, mentions Job. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And also the Apostle Paul quotes from uh, Job in 1 Corinthians 3, 19. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. So that's just a little background to the entire book of Job. So let's open our Bibles then and, and turn to Job. And we're going to read the, uh, the first five verses. In the land of Uts, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three uh, sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. The man who lived in Uts, and apparently it's, it's not Oz, it's Uts, as the, the way it's, it is said. Um, the first thing to know is, where is Uts? I don't know if you can see, see this, this map, but this is Israel, southeast, that past the uh, Dead Sea is Uts, also associated with uh, uh, Edom, uh, Lamentations 4.21. There is no consensus on the name Job, what Job means. It's very varied. Some say enmity, the the enemy, the persecutor, the one who weeps, or where is father? They've all been put forward. But next we have four things that uh, it tells us about Job's character. First is blameless. Any, anybody want to venture a guess on what blameless is? I'll take that as a no. Okay. Uh, in Hebrew, it means uh, complete, wholesome, morally or ethically pure. Yeah. And in the, uh, in the New Testament, it means or it implies uh, not mere, merely acquittal, 
but the absence of even a charge or accusation against a person. So that's what uh, upright, uh, I'm sorry, blameless means. <clears throat> so secondly, Job was upright. And upright means straightforward, just, fitting or proper. The New Testament has virtuous, keeping the commands of God. So Job is blameless, he's upright, and he also feared God. What's the fear God mean? He, belong, he belonged to God, a person of faith. Okay, he's a person of faith. What else? Well, we know that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Right? So he's a wise person. A reverence with God? Yes, yes, whoever said that. Thank no, you. Terry. Terry, okay. <clears throat> I can't see Terry, so. Uh, the reverence, uh, yes, there's a reverence of God. Uh, there's this... Uh, to fear God is to have a healthy sense and awe and respect for the majesty of God, the holiness of God. Uh, it's the proper perspective between the creator and the created. Um, it, it's always hard to get kind of a handle on, on that. You know, we always talk about God in very familial terms, uh, our father and, you know, the loving father, um, Christ, our brother. <clears throat> All right, um, and which is all true, and, and thank God that it is that. Uh, but sometimes we fail to really give him his due, mm. all right? Um, God is a God beyond comprehension. God is a God beyond, uh, you know, our description. Uh, he, he is totally holy, he is majestic, and we should be in awe. And there is a sense of that reverence, but there is also that sense of fear, okay? It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And that was written to the churches. <clears throat> um, I don't know if you, if, I'm always trying to look for some sort of a, a illustration for, the, for this, but the, the one that came to my mind was, I don't know if you, anybody saw the movie, The Story of Pi. <clears throat> um, it, it was received very well. I don't know how popular it was. Um, but there is an, an, an instance where this young boy, they own a zoo, is fascinated by tiger. And uh, he, he was just drawn to the, the majesty and the power of this tiger. And, um, but what happened was that he felt like uh, he, he could befriend the tiger. And at one night, him and his older brother went to the tiger cage and they're standing holding the bars. And the tiger comes down the long corridor and he starts stalking, you know. And, and the older brother right away gets, gets very upset and he's like, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. But the boy is just awed by this tiger. There's both that, there's that dual sense of being awed and yet fear an actual fear. And he just, but the, so the young, older brother runs away, but the younger boy just stays there and he's holding on to the bars because he's mesmerized might be a good word. Mesmerized by both the power 
and the beauty. And then just at the last minute, the father comes up from behind and pulls the son away and yells and screams at him like, you know, what, do you know what you're doing, you know? And as an example, he goes and he gets a goat and he ties the goat to the front of the, the cage and he has the boy stand there and watch. And the tiger comes and he stalks down that, that corridor once again and he grabs the goat and he actually pulls the goat through the bars. <clears throat> and it was, it's a lesson learned by the boy that as beautiful and as majestic and awesome, this is the dangerous animal. And sometimes we forget that God in, in all that strength and beauty, which we worship and adore, he can be dangerous. He's not to be trifled with. And this is what fear of the Lord, it kind of that mixture of power and beauty, our loving heavenly father, but he can discipline us. All right, and then for those certainly who do not know him as loving heavenly father, he's to be feared in the, in the truest sense of the word, feared. So Job feared God. And Job shunned evil. It means to turn away and depart and remove or to be disposed, uh, uh, get rid of evil. So what does this tell us about Job? It's a godly man. Godly man, yes. And, and he would also... Um... Uh, preemptively uh, repent for his children before they, even not knowing that they did anything during the party. He said, just in case, you know? Yes, if we're going to get there, Phil, but that's right. Yes. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. What is this, what, what do these character traits tell you about yourself? Well, how far I am from Job. <laughs> Job was a man who had a deep relationship with God. And uh, if I'm reflecting on myself, I, I can't say, I mean, in nature, all these characteristics I would hope would be me, but I couldn't guarantee it. I hope it would be written to me like that, though. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting point. He was Christ-like. I would consider him Christ-like, right? He was blameless. He was holy-like. He was like Jesus, sort of. Okay, great. Yes, absolutely. The, the, uh, the both of you answer, gave the exact answers that I wanted to hear. Okay, so gold, gold star, Kathy and John. <clears throat> yeah, so we read this, and it struck me that you know we often one put Job in that in that kind of arena with Christ. You know, he's kind of above everybody else. Um, uh, beyond us, and and, and uh, we'll see uh, hopefully in a moment that I I don't think that's a, a proper thing to do. He was a godly man. He was an excellently a good man, um, but he was a man. Okay, he was not something other than. And John brings up the good point. I hope that would be written uh, about us. Um, you know, we <clears throat> our desire as believers is that our lives. Uh, might be lived to glorify God, right? How many would agree with that, right? We want 
We want to glorify God in our lives. Um, and we, we would like to be known like Job is known here. But the question is, would we want to go through what Job went through to glorify God? And that's going to be the big question. Uh, one of the big questions that we, that we wrestle with through here. You look around. Look around at your life, your spouse, your family, your grandchildren, your home, your income, your job. You want to glorify God? How about losing all that? Right? Now, now we, now, you know, it's easy to sit here comfortably and, you know, have a cup of coffee and, and talk about these, these things when it doesn't touch us. But does glorifying God mean that we would surrender everything? And then we might be well known, like Job. But that, this, is, this is where the book kind of takes us with these type of questions. <clears throat> but let me ask you, with this uh, blameless, upright, fearing God, shunning evil, uh, where else in Scripture do we find these character traits? Besides Jesus, that Sunday school answer. Besides Jesus, where else in Scripture do we find these character traits? Moses, David, maybe? no, wouldn't be David. No, no, no. I was going to say David or Moses, but both of them were murderers, so I don't think that works. <laughs> yeah, I think that not completely, but you know, many of the apostles and many of the examples in the Bible, you know, had those types of character traits. I think that you know we always strive to say, well, we need to be perfect. We need to have everything in order in order to you know be somebody to look up to but i think that it will, you know we all strive to you know do our best right and so maybe in one level maybe i'm very forgiving and you know and that's that's you know a, a good character trait um maybe i am you know i don't know somebody that builds people up right and things like that but i don't think that we all are all encompassing of all of those character traits that we want that the Lord requires of us, really. Yeah, yeah. No, I, of, go ahead. I think of Daniel. <laughs> um, when I think of some of the other prophets, but Daniel comes to mind. I thought of Timothy. Timothy? Good. Yeah, it's just, yeah Timothy, and I want us to turn to uh, Titus. Chapter 1, begin at verse 6. Titus chapter 1, verse 6. And the same thing is said in Timothy, by the way. All right. Uh, Paul writes, an elder must be blameless. A husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest game. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refuse those who oppose it. <clears throat> so there, 
right? And the, uh, the qualifications for, for elder or the overseer, we have, he must be blameless. He must be upright. And 1 Timothy 3.10 uh, basically repeats those qualifications. If you turn over to 2 Peter 3.14. 2 Peter 3.14. And it reads, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. What do these verses tell you about these characteristics? It's a work in progress. These are qualities that God wants us to, uh, wants in us. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think when we <clears throat> read these qualifications for, for leaders within the church and uh, the call for us to make every effort to be spotless <clears throat> or upright and blameless, in other words, it's doable. To me, it says it's doable. You know, we can take Job out of that arena of we can never be like him and bring him down to be the man alongside of us and say, hey, it's doable. You know, if he can do it, we can do it. Those characteristics are not for, you know, the saints only that we think of, you know, on the pedestal, but rather, uh, each and every one of us are called to, uh, and it, we are, by the grace of God, by the work of his spirit within us, we are able to be upright and blameless, that we are to live our lives uh, fearing God and shunning evil, and that's something that we can do. I think it's interesting that the word sinless is not used because obviously that's not something that we can uh, achieve. Yes, that's an excellent point, Anna. It, it never says that. And as okay. we'll see uh, way at the end of, uh, end of the book, <clears throat> we find that he himself is repenting. Okay? Um, so he's not sinless. And if that was the case, then that only person on the pedestal would be Jesus Christ. <clears throat> All right? And, um, but... But we are called to be blameless and to be upright. Um, in one sense, it's kind of like being a, you know, made of Teflon. Nothing sticks. Nothing, no accusations uh, because you're living a godly life. Um, that's what blameless is about. But that's doable. And I just wanted to kind of make sure that we convey that so that we're, we're talking about a, a man, a, a very godly man, yes, but he's, he's a man like, uh, you know, like, like we are, who has lived his life serving God. So I don't want to get the, the, give you the impression that you know, he's on that pedestal and, yeah, this is a nice story about somebody that we can never be like. <clears throat> uh, because uh, we're all called to do that, and we all can be uh, like that. Pastor Bob, yeah, I remember reading this when I was in high school and struggling so much with the, the thought that 
you know, that you know, Job would have to go through all of these trials and look how good he is and he's going through all these trials, right? Um, and then I realized with time that, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit in you transforms your heart and all those, those things that were taken away were things that we shouldn't desire necessarily, right? It's like you said the other day in the sermon of not holding so tightly to the things of this world that if God asked us to give them up, we would struggle with it. Right, so Job didn't struggle with those things. So although the, all these things were taken away from him, what was most important to him was not the things of the world, but that he honored God. And so that's why he was, I think, you know, so repentant, you know, that he realized, you know, I, how foolish I am to even question, you know, that, 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 you know, God's goodness to me. Yeah, good point, Steve. And, you know, and, and this takes a lot of profound and, and thinking and, and heart, uh, you know, really examining our hearts. Because on the one hand, it's, it's easy for us to say this. You know, we're not on the garbage heap with Job. You know, life is good right now. Um, it's a lot harder when we're going through those times uh, to say that. And again, <clears throat> I, I often think, uh, you know, as John said before, you know, uh, talking about uh, glorifying God. What would I be willing to do and to give up that God may be glorified and through that, people blessed. Remember the incident in the New Testament where they come upon the blind man and the apostles ask him, Lord, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents? And what was Jesus' answer? That neither, but that this man, I forget the exact words, uh, may glorify God. I have to, I have to ask that, that question for, what was it, 30 some odd years, this man was blind for this moment. Now, would I be willing to give up 30 some odd years in blindness for that moment that God might be glorified? He is recorded. He, it's recorded for prosperity, and he's been blessing. That story has blessed countless, countless millions of believers. But think about, you know, how God worked in that, in that person. And, uh, you know, again, it's hard for us because we want to think that God works the way we think, you know, in terms of fairness and justice and, and niceness and, and, you know, and we don't see the big picture. And, uh, you know, so that's why it's important for us to fear God and to recognize, you know, we can't box God in. You know, there's a reason why he says, you know, you're wrong and that you're thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm very much like you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm God, <laughs> and you're not. <laughs> right? It's basically what he says throughout Scripture, right? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, that says the Lord, okay? But we want them to be that way. Uh, we want it to be our way. And so every time we encounter God and these very difficult questions, we're pressed to, to think outside the box we've made about God. And basically, we're humbled as Job was humble. Let me ask you a question, Pastor, then. So would you consider these more goals to try to attain, like be blameless, be holy? We're never going to actually accomplish them, but that's part of the race. You know, we're running the race. We're becoming more Christ-like. So these really more are achievements, not that we're going to actually, okay, I am now holy and blameless, but it's more of the race and it's more of the goal that we are striving for. Well, yeah, 
I think it is a, uh, certainly a goal, and I think it's part of our sanctification that we are daily uh, being made like that. Um, I, I always have a hard time calling ourselves blameless, and if I look at me, I'm blameless and upright. That's really for other people to decide. Uh, like, you know, God, God, God called Job blameless and upright. All right. <clears throat> but yes, but I, but I do, again, want to emphasize it's doable to a certain extent. Could be cautious about other people looking at somebody and calling them blameless because they really don't know. Like if God says I'm holy and blameless, I'll take that to the bank. Yes. But if somebody looks at me and goes, hey, Sal, you're pretty holy and blameless. I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> you don't know anything. So I, I'll take the God compliment any day. But that it's still God who calls us blameless because in Christ we are blameless. Um, that's part of our salvation. And Amen. We are actually becoming blameless as because of our sanctification. But in God's eyes, we are already saved. We are already holy. We are already blameless because we are. Positionally, we are, but practically, we're not. Practically, we're, we're not because we're still on the road. It's, it's part of that now, but not yet that you see in Scripture all the time. This mm -hmm. kind of, yes, this is what's coming. We're not there yet, but we really are. It's, it's a very much of a paradox in, in scripture that this now and future are combined into one because that's God's perspective. You know, again, God, we used to say, you know, up, uh, we used to say among the guys, you know, God can see around corners. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on in the future. He knows that we will be perfected in Christ. So he sees us as perfected in Christ already. So it's this kind of now, but not quite yet kind of thing that runs throughout scripture. Yes. Uh, and uh, so, yes, uh, you know, if, if God says it, obviously it's true. <clears throat> and we can go to the bank with that. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's also nice. Sometimes, you know, uh, usually at funerals, you know, people will say, you know, he was such a godly man or, or woman. All right. Um, and from what the evidence was, all right. Uh, you know, if, if we know nothing to contradict it, we can accept it. All right. Um, there are a lot of, you know, godly people in the world. All right. It doesn't mean they're not perfect. They're not That's sinless. Perfect. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's move on a little bit then. Into, uh, I was going to say, uh, Pastor, yes. that uh, I think that Job, I um, loved so much that he had all his possessions, especially his family, but he didn't idolize them. He just put nothing before God. And I think that gives us the message that we can love and cherish and treasure lots of things in our lives, but uh, not, not to make them idols, which uh, is something that we can fall into. You know, put, you know we, don't, we say God's first, but in actuality, we might make our families first or our jobs first or just something other than him. And I think Job was able to put God where God belonged and everything else was secondary. You know, as much as he loved his family, obviously he was able to handle, you know, losing his family and not losing his faith because God had the right place in his life. Yeah, well, as we go through this book, you're going to see that it wasn't an easy thing for Job. The whole reason why this book is written because he's arguing with God, all right. Um, he's 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 you know we we have these these great testimonies of faith through it, 
but most of the book is he's complaining to God and he wants to know why this is happening. Uh, because he, you know, I mean, obviously this, this was a very painful experience to him on every level. And he doesn't just acquiesce and humbly, you know, accept, oh, okay, Lord, fine. He says nice things like that, but most of the book, he's complaining. He's, you know, and his, as we'll see, his friends who come over and, the, you know, the, the help they provide is not exactly help. Um, but uh, so Job is very much like us. You know, the, the, those emotions are, are ro roiling uh, in him. And, you know, he goes from, from you know, uh, the saint uh, almost to sinner, you might say, in his complaints uh, against God. And he wants answers. So it goes on. It says, uh, he had seven sons and three daughters. He owned all these animals. Uh, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. They would invite their three sisters to eat and drink. And after the, it ran its course, Job would uh, make sacrifice for each one of them, uh, saying, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their heart. And this was Job's regular custom. Now, Job was a very blessed and very wealthy man, apparently. He had large families and large herds. And in the times, as I said, in the, of the patriarchs, uh, your wealth was basically measured by, by animals, <clears throat> how many animals you had. Even Abram, Genesis 13, 2. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock. You notice that that's first, and then in silver and gold. And the picture we get of Job is a, is a, a large and harmonious family. Uh, brothers not only invite brothers, but they invite their sisters, which was uncommon in that time when men and women always got together separately. So, uh, so we, we don't have any hint of dysfunction uh, like that besets so many other biblical families, such as Jacob and Esau, or David and Absalom. Um, this just seems like, you know, an Ozzie and Harriet family, you know, of, you know, that, that type of thing. Everybody's happy. They're well off. Uh, they like each other. They're getting together for their birthdays. Okay. Um, so it's just a, a very serene picture. And then we also learned that Job acted as the family priest. Uh, again, showing how ancient this is. This is well before the priesthood uh, comes into being. And Job steps in to sacrifice just in case, as Phil had said earlier, just in case uh, my kids, uh, you know, sinned against God by uh, cursing him or something in, in their hearts. Um, and this was his, his, his custom. He did this all the time. So uh, husbands and fathers, uh, how does the example of Job challenge you? Here's your question, Pastor. Why he was this? Was this before? I must have missed it. The early part because Zoom was kind of iffy. But the he was offering a sacrifice. This what's chronologically? Where is this put? Like this is before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is was animal sacrifice instituted. It's probably it's probably a little bit after Abraham, between Abraham and Moses. Animal sacrifices were at, obviously Abraham was making animal sacrifices, so animal sacrifices were in vogue. All right, <clears throat> but it's way before the law, um, before Moses, before Israel. Okay, uh, Cain and Abel made sacrifices. All right, and but you know this was his custom to do this uh, for his kids. And I, the question was, uh, husbands and fathers, 
you know, how does this example of Job challenge you? Yeah. Well, I have no, I have no bulls to sacrifice, but um, I mean, it challenged me to pray for my, my wife and my kids all the time and to intercede if I intercede for them. Um, but I think that's what Job was doing. But I, what I like about what Job is saying here is he's, he's looking at their heart uh, more than even their actions. He's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice in case they sin in their heart. Um, only thing the father I could say is just to pray for my, my kids and my, and my family, I guess, to be an intercessor in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. John. Good answer. <clears throat> he was doing this daily also. Like every morning he was getting up. This was a regular custom for him. This wasn't like once in a while. He was regularly interceding for his kids. And uh, that's a great example. Pastor Bob? Yes. What what do you think about uh, this uh, being blameless, but not sinless? So since we're not sinless, but being blameless means when somebody criticizes even our kids, you know, they, they often criticize me anyway but that we, instead of defending that criticism, um, take it in and say, well, I, you know, I, I, you know, and say, I don't know, I'm going to consider that, that type of thing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a step between repentance and accepting you actually did something wrong and just somebody bringing something to your attention that before wasn't, uh, could that be a measurement that we use of blamelessness, how we accept criticisms from not just our family, but, you know, our friends as well. Um, well, I think it's uh, definitely a, uh, could be a test of <clears throat> our maturity. You know, how people accept uh, constructive criticism, you might say, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm hearing you right, Phil. Uh, well, I, I think even if it's not constructive, not to, not to react all the time, because that's coming from a weak ego. And then acknowledging, hey, I just reacted, you know, even though that was unjust, the criticism he made, or in my mind, it was unjust. But I don't have to react to it, you know. Like Job, immediately, as soon as he heard all his kids got wiped out, he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. You know, he lost... Then, the, the then he spends the next 37 hours as chapters arguing with God of why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but but, he, yeah, still, but he still kept his faith, you know. He was arguing with God, you know. He was still yeah. in a relationship with him which I think was amazing. He didn't give up on God. And he, didn't give, he, he didn't take his wife's advice. Right. We're going to find out. We're going to find that's out. That's, that's for the future. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, it, again, it depends on, if you receive criticism, it depends on so many circumstances, Phil, uh, what the criticism is, you know, and how it is, is said and the intent, you know, certainly love covers a multitude of sins. You know, if it's not a big deal, you know, you could just move on. But I think whatever your reaction, even if you're, you're in a sense defending yourself, uh, there is a way to do it uh, that will still keep you blameless. Pastor Bob, I have a question. It says, Job would send and have them purified. What, what is that? What, what did he actually do? What does it mean to have them purified? Well, he's offering up sacrifices for them. Okay, but did they have to do anything? No, he doesn't even know if they sinned. He's, he's, he's just covering bases. He says, perhaps... <laughs> uh, they, they may have sinned in their heart and cursed God. All right. So, so he just wants to make sure in their, in the, having in their birthday celebration, they didn't go too far uh, and say something in their hearts or doubt God or curse God or anything that might've been 
considered sin, and so he offered sacrifice for him. That's John saying. And, he's praying and, for him. Pastor Bob, real quick, I just want to say, too, he's also protecting his family as well because he says that they could have sinned and cursed God. If they would have cursed God, Job would have believed that they would have died or they would have been taken. They would have been, they would have been, um, they would have been taken. They would have been something very, very bad would have happened to his family. So he's, he's, he's making the offering, the sacrifice to protect his family as well. Yes. And I mean, to be blameless and upright and to fear God. Okay. Um, Job is serious about serving God and living a godly life. And he wanted that for his family. <clears throat> and apparently he, he was blessed by God. Um, this is where, you know, this, uh, these first five verses take us. Uh, Job has been a godly man and he's been blessed by God with family and wealth, possessions. All right. And so it's just a, a happy little scenario, a happy little scene um, that we're going to leave right there for now. <clears throat> All right. Um, and, uh, but, you know, there, there are, I think, uh, challenges and questions even there as to uh, both our character and as, uh, especially for men in leading your family as head of the home. No, I'm going to say that for next week. Yeah. So for next week, Uh, consider this question. Do we love God because of his blessings, the good things in life, spouse, family, home, wealth, health, or do we love him for who he is? And we'll see how that question is presented uh, next week. So, all right, I'm going to uh, close out our class now. Um, I'm glad you, uh, so many of you came out and to, to make it. <clears throat> um, let me see. Uh, let me see. I see Sal. Sal, can you uh, close us out in prayer? Certainly. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your word as our guidebook, as our love letter. Lord, we pray that these words would be working in our heart to bring forth holiness, blamelessness, uprightness. And Lord, for some of us, that's a, that's a tall order, but your spirit is mighty and powerful, and we pray that we would become more like your son. So thank you for this class. Thank you for the attendance, Lord. We pray that as we go into the service now, you are truly honored and glorified because you indeed deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you next thank Sunday. You. Yes. Stay right there for the service. <laughs> thank you. Bye, everybody. We couldn't get all of Sunday school working, so I don't know what's going on. Thank you. Great class. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.